Good morning, everybody. I, uh, I heard this statement made a little while ago. This, this has kind of been like one of those weeks of Sundays. We've, we've been able to worship God in two, work, two uh, memorial services this week. And uh, I, I love worshiping God. I'm not ready for any more memorial services, though, anytime soon. Although, don't forget, next Saturday, Miss Debbie Cottle will be memorialized here at our church. And we certainly want to be here for Eddie and the rest of the family. Good to think about moms this morning, and there's tons of things that I could say about my mom. God blessed me with a mother that loved me. Bless her heart, <laughs> because I was not always the, the lovely child. I was a busy child, and uh, we're here today to celebrate moms, think about moms. I, uh, I noticed something back when we were preparing, I was preparing for the, the Easter message. I noticed a passage of scripture that uh, just kind of jumped off the page, and, and I saw something that I'd seen before, but it meant more that day for some reason or another, and, and I want to just begin by looking at that. It's Matthew 27, verse 55. Matthew records that many women who had come from Galilee with Jesus to care for him, and they were watching from a distance. I, I've read that many, many times, but for some reason... When it said many women that day, it just kind of got my attention, and I've not thought, not quit thinking about that over the last several weeks. Many women who had come from Galilee with Jesus, they were there to care for him, and they were watching from a distance as Jesus was being crucified. And it says among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and Zebedee's wife, the mother of James and John, and if you read the other gospel accounts, you'll find that there were even some other women besides them. What this taught me and what it brought to my attention this week was that there were devoted women that traveled with and served Jesus and the apostles throughout his time of ministry here on earth. Too often we overlook that truth. But women were very, very important to Jesus throughout his ministry. They were very much part of his team uh, that, that Jesus assembled to do the work of the Father. And, and this is obvious as you study this passage and several others. No doubt they use their financial resources, their, their God-given talents, and, and their hospitality to support the Lord's work. And that is important. It's most likely, when you think about it, it's most likely that the majority of the meals that, that they ate were prepared by the hands of these faithful women. I always heard that a way to a man's heart's through his stomach, <laughs> especially if you're Baptist. You guys are going to wake up in a little bit. I know you're tired. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Let, let me read something to you that John MacArthur wrote about women. He said, the ministry of godly women has always been of great significance in the church. Those women by the cross were the primary believing eyewitnesses to Jesus' crucifixion and a woman was the first person to see the Lord after his resurrection. Those faithful women certainly would have had a special place of respect and affection in the early church when the apostles were, were first preaching the gospel and testifying of their experiences with Jesus. It's, it's hard to imagine that they did not frequently acknowledge the courage and the devotion of those women who remained with the Lord during his time of agony and death while they, his specially chosen and trained men, had fled and were hiding in some 
obscure place there in Jerusalem. Interesting thought. Interesting thought. I want you to make note of the three women that Matthew speaks about here in this passage. The first being Mary Magdalene. Mary was an interesting woman. She was a person that most people would have considered to be an outcast because she was possessed by demons. And in fact, Jesus cast out seven demons out of her. Her name was Magdalene, Mary Magdalene. It's not a part of her family name, but it simply indicated where she was from. She was from the town of Magdala. I've been there. It's on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee, just south of Capernaum. She was probably identified in that way because she was unmarried and thus could not be identified by associating her with a husband or with sons, which was the common practice of the day. So there was Mary Magdalene. There was another Mary there. Jesus had a lot of Marys in his life. There's another Mary, and she's referred to as the mother of James and Joseph. Now, if you'll do your homework, you will find that Mary, the mother of Jesus, later had four sons, two of which were named James and Joseph. And so there's that quick thought to think, well, maybe this is Mary, the mother of Jesus, but it's not. This is a different Mary. Uh, this James was, uh, she's, the, she's the Mary, this is, not the, this is not the mother of Jesus, but when he refers to James, this is uh, James, one of the apostles, not, not the, the, uh, the primary James, but someone we would call uh, James the Younger or James the Less. He was uh, not as well known as the others. Mark chapter 15 talks about that said some women were there at the cross watching from a distance, including Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and Joseph and Salome. Uh, this James is referred to as James, the son of Alphaeus also, and it's done twice by Matthew and Luke. And they did this, I think, to distinguish him from the other James, who was uh, the brother of John and, and a, a cohort to Peter, which made up the inner circle in Jesus' apostles uh, they were very close to Jesus. There's also another woman mentioned. Matthew doesn't give her name, but Mark does. He calls her Salome. Uh, she was the wife of Zebedee. She was the mother, therefore, of James and John, two boys that Jesus named sons of thunder because at one time they wanted to call down lightning from heaven on a, a crowd of people because of their attitude toward the Lord. We're going to see this later in John's gospel that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was also at the cross, not mentioned by Luke nor Matthew, but she was there. She's just not mentioned. Now, again, I want you to notice that th these three ladies are mentioned by Matthew, the first of which was Mary Magdalene. I think she's mentioned because she's not married. She's a single lady. The second Mary was identified by naming her sons and the third by naming her husband. So these three women represented a, a single lady, a mother of boys, and also a husband. Now again, MacArthur makes an interesting statement about that. He said the implication seems to be that the divine dignity is bestowed on all categories of womanhood here. God has a marvelous and blessed role for women, and he has, he has, uh, women he has gifted with singleness. For women he, who, has, who are faithful mothers and for women who are faithful wives. And perhaps in order not to suggest a secondary rank 
for the single woman or for the formerly wicked woman, Mary Magdalene is here named first. And I think what Matthew is trying to record and maybe indicate to us is simply this. All women were important to the Lord and they still are. Amen? What would we men be without our wives and without our mates? There's also another passage of scripture that as I studied about the life of Mary, the mother of Jesus, it came to my mind. Um, it's found in Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 54, where it says, Jesus returned from Nazareth, his hometown. And uh, when he taught there in the synagogue, everyone was astonished. And they said of him, where does he get his wisdom and his miracles? He's just a carpenter's son. He's a... Uh, you know, just a, a carpenter's son, and, and we know his dad, we know his, his mother Mary, we, we know his brothers, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas, and, and all his sisters live right here among us. So what makes him so great? That's a pretty great question to ask. What makes Jesus great? I think everybody needs to explore that and come to the same conclusion. He is great for many reasons. Uh, we talked a lot about that yesterday in Tom's memorial service about what makes the name Jesus so so blessed. Uh, it's a it's a precious name, a wonderful name. It's a powerful name. It's a beautiful name. It's a name above all others, and it's a name that, well, if you get right down and study it, there's no other name like it, because he's the only only person we can call on to save us. To say that Mary was highly honored. To be the mother of Jesus is a, really a huge understatement. She was honored. She and Joseph together had four other sons and two daughters. But the scripture says Jesus was her firstborn. That's important. Notice that it says her firstborn. Joseph was not the father of Jesus. It didn't say his firstborn. It said her firstborn. Mary was a virgin when Jesus was conceived and, and even when he was birthed and throughout her pregnancy, she remained a virgin and that is very, very important. You know, however, as you, uh, as you can see from this passage, it's clear that Mary did not remain a perpetual virgin as Roman Catholic heresy claims. This verse is very clear about the truth and some other verses also speak to that. Matthew chapter 12 verse 46 talks about it. It says, as Jesus was speaking to the crowd, his mother and brothers were outside wanting to talk to him. And someone told Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside and they want to speak to you. So it was common knowledge when they saw Mary and those certain men, they knew they were the brothers of Jesus. He had some half brothers. In Luke chapter 2, verse 7, it says she gave birth to her first child, not her only child, but her first child, a son, and she wrapped him in uh, snuggling, and, and, and she wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn, the village inn. John also states that uh, Jesus had brothers in his gospel. We see it again in Acts chapter 1, verse 14. After uh, his uh, resurrection, it says they all met together continually for prayer along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and there were several other women's and also the brothers of Jesus. Now, after Jesus was born, 
It's interesting to note that Joseph began normal marital relationships with his wife. And, and we know from Scripture that Mary had a total of at least seven children counting Jesus. There were four more boys and there were two girls. And uh, Mary was also a very special lady. I believe she was a godly lady. But she was no more divine than any other woman that has ever been born and lived on earth. She was certainly not the mother of God as Catholic dogma teaches. She was referred to, or she referred to the Lord herself as God my Savior, which affirms her own sinfulness and need for a Savior. That's important to note. Now, the Catholics wrongly, I believe, elevate Mary to the status of deity. But I'm speaking to a crowd of Baptists here today, and I want to tell you that we run the other direction, and most of the time, we just go the, to the extreme in the other direction and we try to avoid all issues concerning Mary. But I want you to know Mary was not God. Amen? She was not God and she was not a God. But there's a lot of things we can learn from Mary's life that I think are very important to us. Her, her life and her loyalty are certain, certainly an inspiration to us and and it, it, it serves us well to study her life. As I studied, I found this to be true about Mary. She was chosen by God to be the mother of Jesus because she was a godly lady. She wasn't chosen by random choice. This wasn't a lottery. Jesus speci or God specifically chose her to be, the to be the mother of his son. If you'll look with me in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, which was a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, who was a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Now, I want us to put this in proper context here. You, you got to understand that this event happened some 2,000 years ago when things would have happened naturally or, as I might say, supernaturally. There were no hospitals. There were no fertility clinics, and there were no fertility drugs in that day. Pregnancies had to happen in a normal way, and then there was Mary's pregnancy. It was anything but normal. In fact, it was supernatural. Why? Because Mary, according to Scripture, was a virgin. Now, think about this. 2,000 years ago, virgins didn't get pregnant. That was a fact. But Luke tells us twice that Mary was a virgin and she did get pregnant. Uh, he certainly doesn't want us to miss that biblical fact. She was certainly a virgin. Now, J. Vernon McGee describes a virgin this way. He says a virgin is a woman who could never have a child in a natural way because she has never had a relationship with a man that could make the birth of a child possible. Hang on to that. Jesus was, in fact, virgin-conceived, as well as virgin birth. That fact's very clear in the Bible. In fact, you need to keep in mind who's telling us this. It's Dr. Luke who makes this statement. 
He gives us the most extensive account of the virgin birth that's recorded in the Bible, and rightly so, because he is the most qualified of all men to give that information to us. So we know she's a virgin. We also know that she is highly favored by God. I've already mentioned that we Baptists tend to play down the role of, of Mary in reaction, I believe, to the heresy of Catholic theology concerning Mary. But this passage tells us that Mary was highly favored by God. God had his own reasons for choosing her. He specifically chose her. And I believe it was because she was godly. But again, the context is very, very important. We need to understand this. You see, Mary, the mother of Jesus, was blessed among women, not above women. And that's important. Again, Dr. J. Vernon McGee says this. He said she is not lifted above women. She lifted up womanhood. This is a role that she played. It's so easy to say that a woman brought sin into the world. But remember, it was a woman, not a man, that brought the Savior into the world. Praise God. Thank you, women. You're important to God. Now, verse 29 says Mary was confused and she was disturbed trying to figure out what the the angel could mean by what he said. And and verse 30 says that that the angel said to Mary, don't be frightened, Mary, for God has decided to bless you. You will become pregnant and have a son and you're to name him Jesus. And he will be very great and will be called the son of the most high And the Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever, and his kingdom will never end. Now pay close close attention to verse 34. It says, Mary asked the angel, but how can I have a baby since I am just a teenager? Didn't say that, did it? Why? Because teenagers can become pregnant, right? Right? She's talking about something here that's impossible. That's why she specifically says, I am a virgin. Now look at how the angel answers that question in verse 35. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby born to you will be holy. If Joseph had been Jesus' father, Jesus would have been born with a sin nature and he could not have been holy. But Joseph is not his father. God is. And that's why he's able to be holy and he's called the son of God. Now, what makes, he goes on in verse 36 to say, what's more, and he's given her an illustration to kind of help her understand that nothing's impossible with God. He said, what's more, your, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. Everybody talked about Elizabeth. She couldn't bear a child. Says people used to say she was barren, but she's already in her sixth month. Why? Nothing, nothing is impossible with God. Now, I want you to look with me at how Mary responds to the word of the Lord. God spoke through the angel, the words of God. And and Mary responded in verse 38 this way. She said to the Lord, I am the Lord's servant. And I am willing to accept whatever he wants. May everything that you've said come true. And then it says, and the angel left. So what does Mary do? She agrees with God here. 
She lines up with God. She accepts his will for her life, and, and she, she, but she, she, she had to have known this. She had to have known that by doing that, it was going to create a very big problem for her. A problem, you say? Well, yeah, uh, quite simply, a very big problem. She's going to have a very hard time explaining to Joseph how she became pregnant. I mean, how, how, how do you explain that to Joseph? You, you, you got to understand again the context. In her day, you just didn't get pregnant without sexual intimacy. And all of a sudden, Mary shows up and she's, she's with a baby. She's pregnant. And Joseph knew it wasn't his because he knew he had not been with her. So in his mind, he's thinking, if she's pregnant, she must have been unfaithful to me and to our relationship. And quite frankly, all the evidence was pointing in that direction. But listen, there was absolutely nothing that Mary could do to justify herself or prove her innocence. For Mary to accept the will of God for her life was, was, uh, was dangerous. It was dangerous. It was scary. It, it, it always is when you accept the will of God for your life. But Mary did, and, and you know she was committed to God, which tells me a lot about who she was as a person. She had a, even though she was a teenager, she had a deep love for the Lord at a very early age. And God knew what he was doing when he chose her. And just look at how he cared for Mary. The Bible was very clear. Not only did he send an angel to speak to her, but he sent that same angel to speak to Joseph, her fiancé. And I want you to notice how Matthew verifies everything that Luke's already told us that we've read. Look with me at Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Interesting verse. It says, now, this is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. You could also have written, now, this is how Mary got pregnant. It says, his mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Now, we're not told everything in Scripture, but I believe somehow, and I'm assuming this, don't hold me to it, but I'm assuming this, that initially Mary must have told Joseph that she was pregnant. When she found out, she told him, and he obviously knew it before the angel spoke to him because of the way that Joseph reacted to the news. In verse 19, it says Joseph, her fiancé, being a just man, decided to break the engagement quietly so as not to disgrace her publicly. Folks, Mary was chosen by God because she was a godly lady, but she was also a faithful wife that was deeply loved by her husband. You got to think about this and, and try to get in his mind and what he's thinking. They're, they're engaged to each other. Now, when I say they were engaged to each other, in our culture, that really doesn't mean a whole lot. But in the culture that Jesus lived in and Mary lived in and Joseph lived in, it meant everything. An engagement typically in the Jewish community would last about a year. During that time, it was the, the, the man's responsibility to uh, cut the cord with his mom and dad and go get a job and get a house and become responsible and get ready to be responsible, the, the spiritual leader and the responsible leader of a family. He had to do everything and get everything ready. 
So it lasted about a year. During that time, they were legally bound to each other. In other words, if they for some reason decided to separate and call it off, then there had to be a divorce. And it had to be in writing. And there had to be a very serious reason for that divorce. Why? Because divorces back then were not norm. They were not the norm. But if Mary had cheated on Joseph, and that's what everything looked like, and she had become pregnant by another man, then that was serious grounds for divorce. For Jesus himself said these words in Matthew 5, verse 31. You have heard that the law of Moses says that a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a letter of divorce, but I say that a man who divorces his wife unless she has been unfaithful, there's that exception clause, unless she has been unfaithful causes her to commit adultery and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Those are words from the Lord. They're tough words for us even today. So Mary, Mary's in a predicament. Joseph is also caught up in that. He's got to figure out what to do. Uh, it was really up to him, it was up to Joseph as to what he was going to do with Mary. And he had some choices. He could have literally, legally, had her stoned to death. He could have called her out and said she's with somebody else's child and the community would have stoned her to death at that moment. He also could have publicly shamed her by divorcing her and making it known in the community. Or he could, as quietly as possible, break off their engagement in Scripture indicates that that's what he chose to do. Why? Because he loved Mary. He, his heart was for Mary. Besides that, he was a good man. Not just a good man, not a perfect man, but a good and a godly man. Now, I want you to notice that both Luke and Matthew clearly tell us that Mary was faithful to Joseph and and that she became pregnant while she was still a virgin. That is information we need to hang on to. Which tells me a couple of things. Number one, Joseph was not the father of Jesus. God was. Number two, Mary was not unfaithful to Joseph. She was a virgin. And number three, Jesus was not an illegitimate child. He was the son of God. That's what scripture teaches. Now, not only was Mary an exceptional young lady that kept herself pure for her husband, should be an inspiration to all our young girls, amen? And our young men, amen? Not just the women. But Joseph was also a remarkable young man as well. There's no question that he loved Mary, and his actions, I believe, prove that. We've already said that God specifically chose Mary, but I want you to know that God specifically chose Joseph as well. God, I believe, made the right choice because, you see, a hot-headed, unreasonable man would have stoned her to death, killing both her and the baby. At the very least, that kind of man would have ruined Mary's life by exposing her as a fornicator or an adulteress. But Joseph was was not that kind of guy. And praise God, he wasn't. He was a gentle and kind person. He truly loved Mary and there was nothing that he would ever do in any way to harm her even before he heard what the angel had to say. 
And God took this very kind-hearted man and gave him a little bit more information through the angel that would help him make the right decision about the situation that he was in. And if you'll look with me at verse 20, it talks about that. It says, he considered, as he considered this, he fell asleep and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to go ahead and, and with your marriage to Mary. For the child within her has been conceived by the Holy Spirit and she will have a son and you are to name him Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. All of this happened to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet which says in verse 23, look the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and he will be called Emmanuel which means God is with us Now, Joseph hears this in a dream, comes through an angel. It's from God. It says in verse 24 that when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded. He was an obedient servant of God as well. He brought Mary home to be his wife, and she remained a virgin until her son was born, and Joseph named him Jesus. Now, there are two very important points that are stated here again in this passage of Scripture. The first being the fact that Jesus was virgin conceived and virgin born. That is important. Mary and Joseph remained sexually inactive until after Jesus was born. That was his way of respecting Mary. It was also his way of respecting God. But once the will of God concerning the birth of his son was accomplished, then Joseph and Mary began conceiving and birthing and raising their own children. And together they had six children. Six children. They, they raised a family and Jesus had half brothers and half sisters. And, and Mary and Joseph loved each other and they were faithful to each other. That's, that's important, folks. That's the truth of God's word. I also found out that, that Mary was a loving mother that was respected and appreciated by her son, Jesus Christ. Now, I firmly believe it's important that children respect their mother. Amen? And uh, my dad taught me to respect my mom. And the few times that I was disrespectful to my mom in the presence of my dad, um, he kind of checked me on that. You know what I'm talking about? He took care of the matter, and I learned to be respectful. My mom deserved to hear me say, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, you know, those kind of things. And not that I didn't from time to time be disrespectful. We all do. But we should respect our moms. Amen. That's what he says. Now, I want you to fast forward with me some 33 years from the birth of Christ to the point in time where Jesus was about ready to die. The time, the hour of his death was at hand. The Bible said that Jesus came to earth to die. But it also says that he promised to rise again and be glorified. But you and I need to understand, he came here for one reason. Jesus was born to die. He was born to go to the cross to make a way for us to be saved. Now, the fact that Jesus said, I'm not going to live forever on earth, I'm going to die, it upset a lot of, a pe a lot of people, especially his disciples. There were a lot of people that were struggling at that moment. Even Jesus struggled as he went to the cross. It said he sweat drops of blood in the garden of Gethsemane. 
But how would you have liked to have been his mother on the day of the crucifixion? How do you think Mary felt as her baby boy was being nailed to a cross and hung up there for everybody in the world to see, exposed to all of that cruelty? In John chapter 19, beginning in verse 17, it says, Carrying the cross by himself, Jesus went to the place called Skull Hill. In Hebrew, that's Golgotha. And, you know, if you read the other uh, gospel writers, you find that at one point Jesus fell beneath the cross and they got somebody to help him carry the cross on the rest of the way. But it says there they crucified Jesus. There were two others crucified with him, one on either side with Jesus between them. And Pilate posted a sign over him that read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Now, the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And the sign was written in Hebrew and Latin and Greek so that many people could read it. There was a host of people traveling by. The Romans would crucify people on the main street leading into the town so that people would see the iron fist of the Roman Empire. And no doubt this was done uh, to make a point with Jesus' death. It says in verse 21 that the leading priest said to Pilate, change it from the king of the Jews to he said, I am the king of the Jews. But Pilate replied, what I've written, I have written, it stays exactly as it is. Verse 23, it says, when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they divided his clothes among the four of them. They also took his robe, but it was seamless, woven in one piece from the top. So they said, let's not tear it, but throw dice to see who gets it. This fulfilled the scripture that says, they divided my clothes among themselves and threw dice for my robe. So that is what they did. Again, I think it's important to try to get the context. Mary has had a deep love relationship with her son for all these years. She's been his mother, but now that relationship is about to be severed. She's watching her child be crucified. Mary, at this point in her life, is a widow. There's been no mention of Joseph for a long time. Mary's about to be without anybody to take care of her. And uh, the Lord, as he hangs there on that cross, he's thinking about his mother and he's thinking, okay, when I'm gone, who's going to take care of her? He can't entrust her care to those four half-brothers of his because at that point, none of them are yet believers. They didn't become believers until after the, crucif or after the resurrection. So what does he do? He entrusts her care to John, who was that beloved disciple, the one that leaned on him at the Last Supper, the one that had a special relationship with Jesus. We see that Jesus expressed his love and his compassion for his widowed mother in the midst of his own excruciating pain by making sure that his mother is cared for in his absence. It says in this passage of scripture that standing near the cross where Jesus' mother, where Jesus' mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene, and when Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple that he loved, he said to her, Woman, he is your son. And he said to the disciple, She is your mother. 
And from then on, the disciple took her into his home and he took care of her. What was Jesus doing? He was showing respect. He was being respectful. He was being responsible. He was doing the very best that he possibly could to take care of his mother. Giving John the responsibility to care for his mother was really an expression of love. And he loved his mother deeply and he wanted her to be okay. Because you see, he understood that his death was going to literally pierce her heart. But he also understood that through his resurrection, he was going to make it possible for her soul to be made right with God. Now, we know scripture says Jesus lived for how many years on earth? 33. And he never one time sinned. Not even once. He was tempted in all points as you and I are tempted, but never one time did Jesus sin. But that's not true of his mother. His mother was no different. I told you she wasn't divine. She was just like every other woman. She committed sin. She was a sinner just like the rest of us. And friends, Jesus was dying for her sin just like he was dying for the sins of the world. He was providing for his mother Friends, Mary would have to come to faith in Christ just like everybody else. She too was lost in sin. So it was important, it was important what he was doing on that cross. He was her son, but that didn't give her a special ticket into heaven. She had to put her faith in Christ. She had to trust him to be the Lord and Savior of her, her life just like you do. Why? Because there's no other way. Scripture says there's no other name under heaven, whereby men, women, boys and girls can be saved. Jesus is the only way. And uh, thank God, thank God there is a way. Amen? Mary was indeed a, a special lady beloved by God, chosen by God. She was a faithful wife, loved by her husband Joseph. And she was a loving mother to the very end who was respected and appreciated by her son. And... Um, you know, if we learn anything from Mary's life, we should learn this. She was certainly an inspiration to all women to live their best for God, to be servants of the Lord. Thank God for our mothers. Amen? We wouldn't be here if we didn't have moms. Thank God. I, I hope and pray today that you will think back, reflect on good thoughts of mom. Because, you know, not everybody has good thoughts of mom. Not everybody has good thoughts of dad. There, there are some tough times, and there's a lot of things we can't go back and change, and, you know, water under the bridge is water under the bridge. Seconds off a clock, once they tick by, they're gone, and, and things that have happened in the past, it's in the past. What really matters is what are you going to do today with the life and opportunity that you have today? You can be a godly mom. You can be a godly father. You can be a godly child that respects your parents and loves the Lord by respecting them. There's so much that God would have us to do. But the first thing he would have us do is know his son, Jesus Christ. Amen? That's my prayer today. As we think about moms, as we give God praise and glory and honor for his gift of moms to us, let's certainly dig deeper in that. Let's dig deeper in that. And let's think about what all he has provided. And that is a way to be with him forever. I thank God I can, I can stand here before you today and with all confidence, uh, I can say I am thankful that both my mom and my dad are in heaven. My mother-in-law and my father-in-law are in heaven.
And I rejoice in that today. I look forward to seeing them one day. And I don't think it's going to be too long in the future. The important thing is to be ready in our hearts so when our time comes, we too can go to be with them. Amen? Let's bow our heads for just a moment. Heavenly Father, we are grateful because, Lord, you provide so many things for us that we take for granted. I thank you, Lord, for the way you established family. The fact that you put a mom and a dad there to represent the the unconditional love that you have for us. In all honesty, Lord, some of us have experienced that kind of relationship with our parents and others haven't. But Lord, we thank you so much that no matter what we've experienced in the past, today, in this present, in this moment, Lord, we can experience the unconditional love that you have for us through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for all of us here today. Some of us are enjoying a day we call Mother's Day because it's a good day. Others of us are just having a tough time with it. We're, we're, we're struggling. Whatever our mentality, whatever our emotional state, wherever we're at, Lord, I ask that you touch our hearts, both men and women, boys and girls, to help us to know that you love us in spite of who we are. And you express that love through a cross by sending your only son, the one that you love so much, you sent him, Jesus, to die so that we could live with you for all eternity. Father, we're grateful today for your blessings on our life. We thank you today that you give us an opportunity every time we hear the gospel to make decisions that draw us closer to you and help us to be more pleasing in your sight. God, if there's a decision that needs to be made today for you, somebody needs to commit themselves to you for salvation or for recommitment of their life or if, if there are other reasons, Lord, they need to come today to be right with you, God, may it be so with them. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand with me?